Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Aren't you thankful for a God and a Savior whose mercy is greater than our sins? That gives us amazing hope. That's why we worship Him this morning. You know, and I hope as you were thinking about the truths of that song, you were reflecting on all the ways the Lord has been merciful to you as you think about your sin and your life, the ways that He has been kind to you in those moments of distress. And uh, that it's leading you to praise and worship. And, you know, there's an aspect in which God also reminds us of his mercy through the mercy that other people show us. That helps us to reflect and to think about what God must be like. You know, as I think about my own life, uh, my mom comes to my mind of her mercy toward me growing up in all kinds of ways. But then uh, also in the ways that she especially had the gift of mercy. She served as a nurse for over 30 years in nursing and uh, worked especially in, with patients and with women who were struggling with a very serious cancer diagnosis, many cases which were incurable. And I remember many times as a, as a kid, often on our way to a soccer game or a football game, my mom would often say, I got to stop by and I got to give a, a patient a, a, new, a new dose or, or help with something in the home for home care. And I would often go into with her and see her interact with the patients. And, uh, you know, and many of the patients sometimes were teenagers, women teenagers, uh, women who are young moms, um, and uh, just reminding of myself of just the way in which she cared about them, the way in which she met their needs. It was just a, a beautiful picture of what mercy looks like. But, you know, I'll never forget the day in which mercy was shown to her, even my mom. She calls me one day, and she goes, Aaron, you will not believe what happened. You know, I'm here at Purdue. She's in California. And usually when my mom gives me a call like that as a nurse, I've kind of learned over the years as one of her sons sort of, sort of expect this really gruesome story about somebody like from my second grade who has gone through some tragic thing and has now died. So I'm kind of bracing myself for this news um, for my mom. And then she, instead she goes, I got pulled over by a police officer for speeding. And I'm thinking... This is good. I, I want to hear more of this. Um, it, and so she's like, I, you know, I was trying to take packages to, to FedEx, and, and I had a busy day at work. I was late, and she's trying to get the packages there. Many of us have been there before, maybe. You're trying to get them out by 5 o'clock, right, before it shuts down. And, and, and so she was distressed, and she, the police pulls her over for speeding. And so the police comes over, knocks on her window. She rolls her window down. She looks up at the officer, and, of course, she's just overwhelmed, and she's in tears. And the officer immediately goes, Mrs. Burke? And my mom, who, who usually doesn't forget a face, I mean, she's the type of person as a nurse, she can remember everyone's face, everybody's name, and she's a, a confused a little bit at first. Uh, he tells her his name, and still it's not really ringing a bell. Then so he goes to his car, comes back, and he has in his hand a note. And he says, Mrs. Burke, you may not remember this, but when my mom died 15 years ago, you had written me a note when I was a kid. And so he had kept that note. So this police officer now, 15 years later, is an adult, right? This was, he was a teenager at this time, right? And had kept this note with him. My mom had this, written this lengthy note, you know, trying to explain what had happened in case he couldn't remember certain things about his mom. And so my mom at this point is in shock, you know, just like, oh, you know, oh, wow, this is... And then not only does he not give her a speeding ticket, he showed her mercy and he says, where, Mrs. Burke, where were you trying to go? And she goes, I was trying to go to FedEx, And so he turns on his sirens and escorts her to the FedEx station. And and I'm listening to this story, you know, and she's just tearing up as she's telling me this, you know. And uh, 
And she goes, but Eric, it's not even that. We get there. And of course, it's already late because she had pulled us over and the FedEx place was closed. And so he went around the side of the store, just kind of knocking on some doors to see if anybody was there. And of course, you know, when one of the employees see there's a police officer outside, they, they decide to come to the door because they're thinking, what, what's going on, right? And the police officer says, you know, we have some packages we need to get shipped. Are you able to take them? And, and so sure enough, he, they took the packages and there it was. And I'm thinking, talk about mercy, right? Talk about mercy. And I tell that story, you know, one is to impact us, right, as, as a church, right? The, the extent that mercy can have an impact on the lives of others. And I hope, too, it reminds those police officers in our church family, if you ever catch me, <laughs> gift, to use that gift of mercy. You know, our pastors, we take the God speed thing very seriously around here, around here, right? Well, this summer we've been talking about a hope for fruitful service, hope for fruitful service, and, and it's the first part of our series this summer. We were thinking about the characteristic qualities that needed from Second Peter 1, 5 through 7 for fruitful service. And then the second part of the summer, we've been focusing on the spiritual gifts that God gives for fruitful service. And that's really what we're landing the plane on today. We're concluding our series on spiritual gifts. You know, every believer in Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. We read, for example, in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So each one, everyone, has at least a gift that we are to use. And in many cases, we are given several spiritual gifts. And so we've discussed what is a spiritual gift, who gets them, those that are believers in Christ, who have the Holy Spirit, what is their purpose. And then we've been looking at different spiritual gifts throughout the summer, such as teaching, service, giving, leadership. And today we're focusing on mercy. And so we're going to be looking at finding hope and and showing mercy. And we can, again, think about mercy in a, a lot of ways. It shows itself uh, but, of course, we don't want to think primarily in terms of getting out of traffic tickets. Um, we, we need to look deeper into what the Scriptures teach. You know, God describes himself as a God who is abounding, full of mercy. For example, God talks, yes, he's holy, yes, he's eternal, yes, he's all-powerful, unchanging, some of these attributes about who he is, patient, gracious. But when we see God, there are certain attributes that set him apart. And and he's like no other in all of his ways. And mercy is one of those things. But certain attributes are not communicated that just don't apply to creatures as the creator. For example, we are not omnipresent. We are not all-knowing. We can never be these things. And yet there's some attributes of God that he does reflect and he does communicate through creatures. And one of those things like his love. God is love and as creatures we are to reflect what his love is like. It's not ever identical. God's love is still unlike anything else. It's a category all his own and yet we get to reflect his love as his creatures. And same thing, God's mercy is higher than our ways, greater than our ways, and yet we are called to be merciful and how we show mercy as Christians, to bring honor and glory to his name. And so what is it about mercy? Well, mercy describes God's kindness. It describes his compassion on others in distress. And so when we think about then, if this is what God has described as mercy, when we think about the gift of mercy then, the gift of mercy is going to show kindness and compassion on others in distress. And we can do that as human beings as well. We read about God's mercy, for example, when God announces to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, the God of the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And so when God revealed himself to Moses, he wanted him to know that he was a God of mercy. 
Similarly, the Apostle Paul, when he explained the beauty of salvation and being restored to a right relationship with God to those who have faith in Christ, he reminds us this is not based on what we do, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Right? So God's kindness allows us to be brought into a right relationship. God's mercy toward us in our distressful, sinful condition, there is nothing we could do. It is only through trusting in God's mercy toward us through Jesus Christ. See, God describes himself as a God who is rich in mercy. And he's so rich in mercy that he decides to even give spiritual gifts of mercy to experience that. And when we consider all the ways that God himself shows to be rich in mercy, we shouldn't be surprised then, like when we get to the list of spiritual gifts, that one of them is going to be a gift of mercy. And so we've been focusing on this passage to just illustrate some of the scriptures that would talk about the spiritual gifts. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, and his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, all who believe in Christ receive at least one spiritual gift. But they're gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so there's a sense in which all Christians are, are, are going to be merciful and need to be merciful, and yet there's a spiritual gift that talks about an appropriate apportioning that the person's to use in ways that are particular to this person to build up the body of Christ. And so each of us has spiritual gifts, and one of the spiritual gifts that some believers have is the gift of mercy. And so if we think again about God's mercy as his kindness and compassion on others in distress with a serious need, we can see, for example, like Tim Keller illustrates, the gift may often specifically be moved to work with the poor or the sick or the weak or the prisoner, the addicted, the elderly, and so on. Again, it's not, these are just illustrative of people can find themselves in all kinds of distressing situations where they need compassion and mercy in their time of need. So these are not exhaustive by, by any means. Now, you might look at that definition and think, well, that's not me. I'm not gifted like that. Well, when it comes to mercy, the scriptures also emphasize, again, different apportioning, but all Christians are still expected to show mercy to some degree because we all have received mercy and are commanded to be merciful to others as God has been merciful to us. And so every Christian right, still needs to show mercy, and yet some have been given the gift of mercy and are particularly used to, used to build up and strengthen the body of Christ. Now, what's challenging is if you go and look at the gift of mercy, you're going to find in the New Testament, it's usually just listed in the gifts list. There's several passages in the scripture that talk about various gifts, but then no description or definition is really unpacked to describe what that means. And so I think as you read those passages, basically God is assuming you know what mercy looks like, so for Christians who are reading this letter, when they hear about the gift of mercy, they go, yeah, I know what that is. And so the gift of mercy, even though it's not talked about a lot in the scriptures, the concept of the mercy in the body of Christ is everywhere. You'll see it all over in the New Testament. And so just because you don't see the word mercy always used, the reality that's being described of somebody showing mercy is all over the place. And I'm going to illustrate some of those examples. But with our time today, I'm going to explain especially an example from Jesus' own teaching that many of the disciples would have had in their mind of what does mercy look like? What, what does it look like fleshed out in real life? An example that Jesus says is an example of someone showing mercy. So turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, 
Gospel of Luke, that's chapter 10. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, that's in the New Testament. That's in the back section of the Bible. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And while you're, while you're turning there, we're, we're going to start in verse 25, because this is connected to the story that Jesus is going to give about an example of somebody who shows mercy. So Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus, that is, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Focus on that. It's going to become important to the story. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, as we look at this story that Jesus is giving about the Samaritan, we're going to see three aspects demonstrated when we use the gift of mercy. The first, it's a gift to be shared with every neighbor. Mercy is the type of gift to be shared with every neighbor. Jesus says in 1030, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Meaning a certain man. This is a common way to begin a parable. Meaning a certain man is the victim of robbers, an everyday reality, an everyday type of suffering of the brutality on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. The point is there's nothing special about him that singles him out for this type of suffering other than the reality of his condition of distress. So the point is of the parable, he's sort of an example of every neighbor. Anyone could be put into this role of the traveler facing this type of distress. Then it also goes to understand why the third man on the road is described as a Samaritan. The first two men, a priest and a Levite. Uh, Again, we cannot know the reasoning for passing by, right, for the Levite or for the priest. God doesn't want us to give any explanations for the reason they do this. We aren't even clues. They're simply a priest and a Levite. And again, I think the original hearers to the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus intentionally focuses on a Samaritan, which I think many people would think is not my natural neighbor. 
And so the original here is, I think, many times would think this would be a rather offensive to some listeners, especially for Jews who considered the Samaritans more as like their enemies. And so because he wants us to see the characteristics of a true neighbor as one who shows mercy, Jesus really emphasizes more on the Samaritan's actions, what the Samaritan is doing, right? And so it's tied, this whole story is tied directly to that first part of the section. What is the greatest commandment is to love God, and if I truly love God, then I will love my neighbor as yourself. And so an act of mercy is to be shown to be an act of love. Mercy is an act of love. This is a part of what it means to love my neighbor, This is part of what it means to love God is by showing mercy to my neighbor. Now, when the lawyer tried to test Jesus, though, he replied by pointing the lawyer back to the Mosaic law, referencing Deuteronomy, referencing Leviticus, the most important commandment to love God and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was a man who was described as somebody who was a lover of God and a lover of people. And you see many times because people knew about Jesus's love, they they cry out to him for mercy. For example, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so what is the the fruit of this in Jesus's life as he seeks to love the father and he seeks to love the neighbors around him as himself? What do people in positions of distress ask Jesus to do? Things like this. Two blind men followed him crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Or or, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And so when people are in all kinds of situations of distress, one of their their cries constantly is, Lord, have mercy on me. And so this is one of the ways that we demonstrate love. But it's to be shared without boundaries. And often when we think about neighbors and what it means to be a neighbor's, and inevitably in our minds, sometimes we, we come up with certain boundaries, whether it's geographic, whether it's ethnic, for who defines my neighbor and what it means to be a neighbor. For example, I live in the Wake Robin neighborhood. There's even a sign that designates the boundaries of my neighborhood, right? And so the temptation can be when somebody says, who is your neighbor, to immediately think the geographic neighbors right in my neighborhood, Right? And so once you get outside my neighborhood, that's, those are no longer my neighbors. And instead, what's interesting is the parable shifts from this questioning of who is my neighbor to justify myself, maybe so I don't have to do certain things that God's word would call me to do that are actually rather difficult, to who is the neighbor, right? Not who is my neighbor, but basically saying what is the quality of what it means to be neighborly, right? To be a neighbor, A neighbor is characterized by one who shows mercy. And often the question that we have first in our mind is, who is my neighbor? So based on what I do, but first not thinking about, am I a neighbor? Am I the type of person that shows mercy to all kinds of people around me? See, we can see this passage and through scriptures that the gift of mercy is used in all kinds of ways to meet a variety of needs. So we don't want to limit our understanding of mercy just to the actions of the Samaritan or even just a particular place in the scriptures. We want to understand how mercy is expressed in a whole host of ways and how it can be discussed in our life. Think, for example, of how this gift might be used, especially toward those outside the church, right? Not just those neighbors that are in a, within the church, but those outside the church. Sometimes it's to meet a, a physical need that's presented to folks in distress and need. 
you know, there was an example uh, in our church family where I got to see people in our church who just had the gift of mercy, just really just excited to step in and to meet a need. You know, Purdue had contacted our church because we've been involved in meeting a variety of needs for Purdue over the years. And they say, we have these Ukrainian scholars coming over. They, they need a place to stay. We have some housing, but they don't have any furnishings. Is that something that your church would be one, interested in meeting? And right away, two of our members, Jeremiah, David, right, Miller, they wanted to jump on meeting that need. And then organizing a group of faith groups. And we had several faith groups who immediately said, yeah, we want to meet that need. We're all about meeting pressing needs. We want to show mercy to those in kindness. And, and so I just love seeing examples of our church family meeting needs, showing mercy to those outside the church, those they've never met, those who have no ethnic relationship to. They're just wanting to meet pressing needs because they think of the mercy of their Savior. We have other examples, right? I, I think of those in our church family from each of our campuses who every Saturday are involved in helping with our homeless ministry, right? What is that? Well, that's mercy, not only meeting physical needs, but they're there even having conversations about spiritual needs to the homeless in our community. Again, what motivates us to do that is because of the mercy and the compassion that God has shown us. But this gift of mercy takes all kinds of shapes and forms and application. You know, I, I think of one of our Faith Community Institute classes that members of our church offer to our community is Grief Share. Dale and Gail McGinty and many servants in our church week in, week out, year after year, want to be ministering to those, showing mercy in those in times of grief, when they've lost loved ones, when they've gone through trials. And to have the type of people who want to do that, that's a, that's a gift, right? To constantly be in, right, groups, fall semester, spring semester. I mean, just to imagine around those who are weeping. Well, it's because they have hearts of compassion for these people, and they have gifts of mercy that they want to be used by God to, to, in order to serve them, to point these people to their Savior who is merciful. There are some folks who came today, with back's a little sore because yesterday they were putting on a roof, meeting needs of affordable housing for our Lafayette transitional housing. Right? And, and so with our CDC and our community development corporation, we have several people who just have the gift of mercy and they want to meet these needs by using their skills of construction to help those who need affordable housing. Yeah, these are just examples but there's so many ways that this also can be done inside the church, not just outside in the community, but what does it look like among our members? You know, Luke and Paul each give examples of mercy toward the body of Christ. For, for example, in Acts chapter 9, 36, we see an example of what the gift of mercy looked like within the church family. In Acts nine thirty-six, it says, Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding, right? Talk about grace given according, right? Was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Dorcas seems to be described as a woman with the gift of mercy. She was abounding with charity, abounding. She continually did these things. And her gift of mercy impacted so many people in the church that when she fell ill and this woman died, all the people in the church sought out and implored Peter to come and that he might use his spiritual gift of healing to bring her back from the dead. Right? And the text goes on to say about her acts of mercy and the impact that it had is that when Peter arrives on the scene and went with them, when he arrives, they bring him up into the upper room. Right? And so again, imagine Dorcas is dead. Right? And all the widows are standing there beside him. And what are they doing? They're weeping. 
and they're showing all the tunics. Can, can you just imagine this, right? All the tunics that this woman had been abounding with and had provided and made for all of these widows and women, and they're showing these tunics and clothing that Dorcas has made, right, as they're weeping, and they're asking Peter, please heal her, right? right? And, and, and it's amazing, right? Don't you just love that picture? The impact that that had on the believers, the gift of mercy exercised by this woman, Dor- Dorcas. And, and the Spirit of God continues to work in and through brothers and sisters in our church and around the world who use their gift of mercy in the local church to bless brothers and sisters. We have women in our church that are like Dorcas too, right? Who want to meet pressing needs in our church family, who want to bless others using the gifts that they have. And I praise the Lord again for God's work and so many in our church family who you're thinking about as you've gone through this spiritual gift series, you're thinking, yeah, I I have that gift and I want to deploy it for fruitful service to the Lord. For example, when many of our families can remember when the Arthur family or Funada family are going through cancer trials, all those who were involved in cleaning the homes and the meals prepped, the child care arranged, the, the notes of encouragement written. What is that? That's, that's a gift of mercy on display. Paul also gives an example, not just Luke, of what does this look like in the local church. You know, in Second Timothy, Paul mentions that he was abandoned and by even those who were associating him, Phygelus, Hermogenes, And Paul is telling Timothy that there were some, because of his chains and imprisonment, they were leaving, and they didn't want to associate with Paul in this condition of distress. And so Paul tells how some of these churches, they didn't want to show mercy because of his chains. They're like the priests. They were like the Levite choosing to travel down the other side of the road. And yet Paul thanks another man who seems to have the gift of mercy, and Paul prays for the mercy of God to be returned on him because of the mercy that he showed him. We read about this in 2 Timothy 1, 16-18. Paul writes, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. And may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. See, Onesiphorus often refreshed often searched hard for Paul into the way that he could help him. And so we can point again to many examples in our church family who this is what you're doing. When people are in need, you're seeking them out. We have folks who are part of our mercy ministry team who just want to seek out members in the hospital who are going through challenges to pray with them, to be able to provide meals for them, to visit with them. It's mercy. We have a team that supports our, our cancer ministry. What, what, what motivates people to do that? Well, it's the mercy that God has shown them and they now want to meet pressing needs and other peoples who are going through distress. So can I encourage you to think about, if you haven't experienced this type of mercy in a local church, one of the questions I often have as a pastor is, how engaged are you in the local church where people would know you and you're committed and you're devoted in love to a group of people that allows them to have opportunities to show mercy, but also for you you, to use your spiritual gifts of mercy to be able to have this type of impact on the lives of other Christians. I don't know about you, but when I read that story of Dorcas, when I hear about the blessing, right, that Onesiphorus was on Paul's life, As a Christian, I should say, I want to be a part of having that type of impact on other believers in their faith and encouragement to continue to follow Jesus. 
And, and so I want to encourage you, if you're not a member of a local church, to become a member, whether it's at Faith or another church in our town. God wants you to be able to exercise your spiritual gifts, like the gift of mercy, in a local church so that others might be built up and strengthened in their faith. And so if you're thinking about faith as your church, I would encourage you, September 27th here at Faith West is when we have our next Intro to Faith. That's the time to learn about our church. What does it mean to become a member? What does it mean to be a Christian and a member of a local church? I would encourage you to check us out at that time if you're not currently a member of a church because this is where the spiritual gifts are to be exercised and shown in the local church as well. The mercy is also to be freely given with cheerfulness, freely given with cheerfulness. When we're using the gift of mercy continually, though, you're often going to find you're going to be taken advantage of. And I think that's especially why it's important to do this with cheerfulness and not begrudgingly, right? Not with a heart that's sort of like, really, seriously, again, I have to help them again? It feels like we sometimes might have an obligation to do it begrudgingly, but God wants us to be cheerful. And God knows it's a temptation for all of us to grumble and complain when we show kindness to somebody for their spiritual good, and we might have expectations for what that might look like, and they may not always respond in the way that you would hope or expect. And the temptation in your heart then can be, oh, I'm not going to be merciful. I'm going to grumble. I'm going to complain. I'm not going to exercise my spiritual gift of showing mercy to others. It's a temptation. I remember my wife and I, one time we were here when we were first residents at Faith West. This was quite a while ago when it first opened. And uh, I remember I was serving at the community center one night, it was like 11.30 p.m. at the night. I, you know, just finished cleaning up, about to close the building, right, and about to walk. And then all of a sudden, there was this face on the windows out here in the darkness. And it was this woman, like, peering in, and she's knocking on the glass, right? And I'm thinking in my heart, I'm just going to go home, pretend I never saw this woman knocking on the glass, right? It's like 11.30 at night. I'm tired. I'm just going to go upstairs, you know, go to sleep, right? And then there's the knocking on the glass again. And I go, Okay, you know, so you sort of peek open the door, you know, you ask, what's, what's going on, right? And, and there's this woman out there with a teenage son by herself. It's like 1130 at night. I'm thinking, what is going on? What is happening? And she goes, we just arrived on a bus from Kentucky, right? And uh, we got here. My husband was supposed to meet us here. He didn't get in time. He's bringing the trailer for our house, but we have no place to stay. You know, I'm thinking, What? You know, here with your child, right? There's all things going on in my mind as a parent, right? What, what about what happened here, right? But in the moment, right, the question is, what am I going to do as a Christian? So here's this woman. She's in distress, right? She's overwhelmed. Everything apparently according to her plan sort of fell apart. And so, you know, in the moment, sometimes I, I, I said, I'm going to call my wife just to make sure everything's okay. So we had one kid at the time upstairs. We had a two-bedroom apartment. My wife was pregnant at this moment. And, we, you know, what do you think about you know, having her into just to stay the night, you know, and oh yeah, you know, if my wife's so generous, you know, oh yeah, let's, let's do it, you know, and then, you know, you, so you have them up, so they're sleeping out there in our living room, you know, and I get to bed, you know, I'm feeling good about, yes, Lord, this was a great opportunity to show mercy, and as I'm laying there in bed, all of a sudden the thoughts start creeping into my mind, when is this person going to leave? <laughs> How long are they going to be here? Then I start thinking, I have a baby in that other room across from them. My wife is pregnant. I got to go to work tomorrow, and then my wife's going to be here with these people. And then I start thinking, 
I don't even know these people. What are they going to do? Could they, right? And all the worst thoughts start coming into your head, right? And so I immediately start, right? What do I do? I'm fearful. I'm fearful about showing mercy. I don't want to be taken advantage of, right? So I, I start searching online for job applications that night for her to apply to, and I have those ready in the morning for her, right? So here's some jobs in the area that you might consider. Um, here's where you can, your child can go to school. And, uh, you know, that day, so I'm expecting, oh, tomorrow will be the day that she moves out. And then I, I give a call. I check in her later that afternoon, and she goes, I didn't. I, yeah, we decided we were a little tired. We didn't go look for jobs or take my kids to school. And I'm thinking, what? You know, and then all of a sudden, right, the anxiety, the worry, right? And then now I start to be grumbling of, here, I provided you one night of housing. That's enough, right? That's sufficient, right? And, and this is the temptation, I think, when we show mercy is sometimes people may stay. People may do things that are different than what we expect. And in the moment, I mean, they're going to continue to honor the Lord. And by God's grace, you know, she was there for a couple days, but eventually found housing, found, got her son into the school and system and everything. And you just see how God was faithful to provide and to care for us. But again, it was just a reminder of sometimes it's a struggle to be cheerful when you're right. And you can do it for a moment. You can be cheerful to show mercy. And then like the next moment, you're struggling with grumbling and complaining about it. And this is, again, why we need to remind ourselves of why we need a Savior. A second aspect of demonstrating the gift of mercy is a gift that uses what God has provided for you. Again, at that time, for us, it was, I mean, we had a, a living space with a sofa, you know, and that's where they slept in this time where we showed mercy. And, and again, as God's entrusting us with the resources that we need in order to show mercy in the ways that he wants us to. He's not asking to show, show mercy without resources that he hasn't provided. And so being faithful to use what the Lord has provided you in order to show mercy. But, but it starts first with making sure that we have a heart of compassion. See, mercy flows from a heart of compassion. Notice that it says the, the first priest saw him and then he passed by. The Levites saw him and then passed by. And then when it comes to the Samaritan, it says he saw him and he felt compassion. And, and so as Christians, where does that compassion come from, from those in positions of distress? It's, it's because we know the compassion and mercy of our God. God shows us mercy and compassion so that we can show mercy and compassion to others to comfort them. Second Corinthians reminds us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, any distress with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. And so as Christians, when we have experienced the compassion of God, we're able to extend compassion to others. And often God uses the very ways in which we are experiencing the compassion and mercy of God and in and through the body of Christ in our moments of distress that helps grow us and extend that same type of mercy and ex- to people in distress. It makes us more sensitive of those things as well. So many times we may not be aware of the impact, right, like a cancer diagnosis can have on work and family and all kinds of ways. And then as you experience a loved one who goes through that and you're helping your family and you're going through all the details of that, 
you start to see the compassion and love of God shown to you as a Christian in those trials. But then it makes you more sensitive now when everybody, anybody else you know has a cancer diagnosis, right? Your, your heart just sort of naturally now is inclined to go after in order to help them and to meet needs as Christians. Similarly, right, you may have once people who lose loved ones and go through the loss of children, right? And in those moments when you have experienced losses like that, you're aware of the acute pain and the distress and how God's comfort helped you in those moments. And then when you see others going through that, you reach out because you want to show the same type of comfort and compassion. But we have to remember a compassionate heart knows that mercy will have a cost. It will have a cost. Mercy has a cost when you show it. We see it in 1034. He came to him. He bandaged him up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. It goes on later to mention, right, he even provided funds and money, right, in order to care for his ongoing care. How much of this story is focusing on the extent that the Samaritan did to show mercy and the cost of using what was available to him? He came to him. He bandaged him. He poured oil, his own animal, so he's walking. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. It's just like what James says in 2.15. If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What use is that? So mercy does have a, a cost. And I'm thankful again as many in our church family are considering what is the cost of following Christ. And one of the costs is going to be when you extend mercy to people. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you resources. It's going to cost you to give up on other commitments or priorities that you may have made for better things. One of those costs is going to take time for sure. It's interesting that in a story that the Samaritan is described as one who's going on a journey. Right? And then his sort of journey is interrupted, and then he still has to travel on, right? Because this wasn't originally part of his plan, right? And again, but I think that's what actually emphasizes the mercy of this man in the story that Jesus is illustrating. It takes time. It takes time to stop and notice and care for somebody in moments of distress. But, but I just am amazed, again, that in the end, right, you just see the, the extent to which he goes. He, he leaves on the, the journey the next day, and normally it's a one-day journey, and here he is staying the night at this place and making sure everything is arranged for him and delaying his journey in order to show mercy. You know, there's examples of this in our, our church family even just recently. Many of you were involved in hosting temporarily international students. They had needs uh, of temporary housing because there's all the places are filled up before the apartments can get moved in. And many of you opened up your homes. You took the time away from your schedules. You had to take time away from other commitments in order to meet the pressing needs of these students. And I'm thankful, again, for that. And just the impact that that love and mercy might have on these students, many of them who never heard the gospel, never met a Christian, never been to a church. This is to show them the, the love that comes from God. I'm thankful that you would show mercy in that way. It does take time. But you use the resources that you have. God does not ask you to give what he has not provided. We see that illustrated in the story, and we see that emphasized throughout, that we are all stewards in the Scriptures. God owns everything. We own nothing. And yet he entrusts us with various things in order to show mercy. And again, you may not have a lot. You may not have a lot. But do you have a heart that wants to help those in distress with what God has provided you? Some of you might remember uh, Jordan and Mallory Kirk. They remember us here and now are in Colorado. You know, and, and Mallory suffered unexpectedly a brain bleed, and she had just had a baby. And you know, we find out this news, and praise the Lord, she seems to be recovering and getting better. 
But we found out this news. We had contacted them. We were praying with them, you know, and we're talking with our, some of our, our children, you know, about what's happening, you know, because they were really close friends. They had children of the same ages as us. You know, as we're talking, you know, one of our children remembers, right, that she had to give up her blanket because she kind of got too old for the kid's blanket to be carrying around with her. But when she heard about the new baby, right, that they had, her thought was, I would love to give my blanket to their new baby, right? And, and again, what I love about that is it's this principle. She's using what is hers in her mind to think, how could I meet a need, a distressing need for this baby? Uh, you know, and I just love the, the picture, and it's just a reminder, again, of just being faithful to use what resources God gives. And there's an excitement then. When you use those resources, you look forward to seeing how God is going to use those resources to encourage and to build up others. God's provision will not always look the same, but if God is the giver of the gift of mercy, God was also the provider of the resources needed to show the mercy. Also, mercy seeks the person's continuing good. We see the demonstrated the story. It's not like he just stopped and gave him water. I mean, the extent into which this man goes to make sure he's in the best position. And, and this impacts our philosophy of ministry as a church when we think of mercy ministries. This is why we have a thing like a care team down at the north end for physical needs, but also all the wraparound services that we want to provide. Because many times it's not just a physical need issue. There are spiritual issues going on, relational issues going on. And we want to not just put somebody in the position of meeting a physical need. We, we want their ongoing good. Most importantly, we want them to know the Lord, know the mercy of God. And whatever resources we can provide holistically around this person, that's what we want too. And mercy, again, is not just sometimes just giving resources. Sometimes it's more. Things like time, things like relationship, mentoring. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have the gift of mercy, to what degree are you using it in our church family and in our community to show the love of Christ? Finally, mercy is a gift that reveals your heart. Mercy is a gift that reveals your heart. The story begins with God giving us insight into the heart of the man of why he's asking this whole thing about the neighbor, right? He wanted to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? And it's all about the commandment to love God and love my neighbor. And instead, Jesus ends the story focusing not on who is my neighbor, but am I a neighbor? Who is the neighbor in the story, right? Which one of these proved to be a neighbor, And the temptation for all of us is we all like to think, I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good neighbor. If you ask most people, I'm a good neighbor. And then if you look at what Jesus defines, the good neighbor is one who shows mercy. And just to ask yourself, how have you shown mercy to people in the last week, in the last month? Are you, as what Jesus would say, proving to be a neighbor? It's a challenging point. See, the lawyer was seeking to test Jesus and revealing what he believed. There must be something that he could do that will please God so that he will have eternal life. But when Jesus challenges him to the question, surely God's word doesn't include everyone. By the end, the lawyer answers Jesus' question. The one who showed mercy toward him was the neighbor. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. And so how do you live as a neighbor? Jesus explains one of the assets is Showing mercy to others is what defines being neighborly. So mercy shows you're acting as a neighbor. And it also reveals a heart for the Lord. This is about loving God, right? And if I love God, I will love my neighbor in ways like showing mercy to meet them in times of distress and need. 
But all of this teaching points us back again. The gift of mercy is a demonstration of God's work in your life and your choice to love him. You know, there's another man who also asked Jesus the question, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life later on in the gospel of Luke, the rich man? And and Jesus, uh, again, replies to the man, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. And so often we refer to this, right, this parable as the good Samaritan. That's not Jesus's intent, I think, is to say that this guy is somehow right with God just because he's a Samaritan and because he showed this mercy. No, Jesus makes it very clear there's only one way, right, and one person who is good. That's Christ and Christ alone. He is the righteous one. And in, or we don't get mercy from God by doing acts of mercy. It's not like I go and do acts of mercy and then God's going to show me mercy. That's not how it works. Jesus makes it very, very clear. It's God who first shows mercy to us and he is the righteous one. And it's by faith and trusting in his mercy that we are brought into a right relationship with God. And then he motivates us then to show mercy. But our acts of mercy never make us right with God. Why do we extend mercy? Is because we have received God's mercy from us. See, Jesus is the one who is truly the best and good neighbor, the righteous one. He bandages the wounds of our sinful condition by being wounded for us on the cross. And it's by his wounds we are healed. And so when we think again about what shall I do to earn eternal life, this is what God's word says. He saved us. It's not what I did. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So it's only first by receiving mercy from God can we then begin to show the mercy of God to others in a way that would honor and please God. Because without faith, we cannot please God. And so I hope that you are thinking, I get the joy of loving God when I show mercy. Because I think of all the ways that God has shown me mercy. And if you're grumbling, complaining about showing mercy, it's a reminder you really need to go back and think of all the ways that God has been merciful to you in your times of distress in your life. And thinking about the extent of Jesus' mercy toward you as a sinner. And that will, again, encourage your heart to continue to persevere in showing mercy to others, even when it's hard. But as we walk away today, uh, church, I hope we're thinking, to what degree am I going to use the gift of mercy to build up this body? How am I going to use it to reach out to the community, to meet the distressing neighbors around me? And in the end, we know that God's going to be brought glory and honor and praise. And that's why we do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you that you're a God who's rich in mercy. And that's one of the ways that your word says you're like, not like us. Your ways are higher than our ways, is that you richly pardon sinners. You make the ungodly righteous by your mercy through the shedding of Christ's blood for the forgiveness of our sins and through his resurrection, we have the hope that eternal life is available to all who repent and believe in him. I pray for those today who may not have experienced the mercy of God, that today they would receive Christ by faith and enjoy the mercy that Jesus makes it possible for them to be forgiven. As a church, I pray and I thank you, God, for your gift of mercy that's lived out in so many in our church family who are seeking to use this and steward this gift to build up the body of Christ. I pray you would continue to increase their use of this gift so that the body may be matured. For those who are not stewarding the gift of mercy in their life, I pray that you would convict them, God, and motivate them to now use this gift toward the body of Christ so that the body would be built up. 
and praise, Lord, that ultimately praise and attention would be drawn to you as the giver of all things that are good, as we would exercise these gifts in ways that honor you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.